You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to another episode of Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And today we are talking about two ghosties that are wet, dead, and full of secrets. I'm so, so, so proud of this title. New favorite title? New, new favorite title. Better than that, So Craven. Yes. Yeah, no. It's taking the moniker. Better than bad dads. <laughs> um, this is one of those episodes that we've had planned for at least a full year. And we had the hardest time working it into the the themes that we've been doing. Every month at Nightmare on Film Street, we, we try to pick a fun theme in order to kind of make a collection on the website and the podcast where there's this like cohesive message and we're all celebrating the same tone of films. And Wet, Dead, and Full of Secrets really hasn't fit into those themes because we've been doing serial killers and we've been doing found footage and we, we've done a whole lot of really fun themes that have had a ton of great content. But where do you fit in what lies beneath? And I mean, the ring you can fit in anywhere, but where do you fit in what lies beneath on a horror podcast? It's very hard. Uh, so in saying that too, uh, this month's theme is the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance. And it's not just a single month. We are doing a double month because this month's theme is super complicated. <laughs> it's high school prom and sea monsters. <laughs> All May and June, we are going to be talking about prom horror, t- classic high school horrors from yesteryear, present, modern day. And then we're going to be throwing in some under the water Fun stuff. We got some sea creatures, some sea monsters, and a whole bunch of good stuff, including wet, dead, and full of secrets ghosts. But Kim, before we get into this week's episode, I gotta ask you, what's keeping you creepy? Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to rhyme off. Um, some stuff that we've we've watched, we've been we've been enjoying during our crazy ass quarantine, and then some recommendations for you guys for stuff that's happening this week and this weekend, so uh, you can too can enjoy your crazy ass quarantine. This week, Fangoria just announced a new addition to the Fangoria Podcast Network, the Boulay Brothers of the Dragula Drag Show, which I have to admit, I had not seen because we're in Canada. The show Dragula is on Netflix, which it's not on Netflix in Canada, And while we were tweeting out the congratulations to them, they let us know that it's on OutTV in Canada, which we just so happen to have in our cable package. I didn't even know that. Um, But it's how I've been watching uh, some of my RuPaul On Demand. And now I'm watching Dragula and I'm living my best life. Yeah, I woke her up with it this morning. It's been a pretty good day. It's been, so what is it, like 4 p.m. on Wednesday? I have been watching it all day long. And, and as soon as we finish recording this, I'm going to continue watching it. Oh, definitely. Dragula hit Netflix. John barely got me here in the recording. <laughs> <room>. <laughs> I had to bribe her with breakfast burritos. But uh, the Dragula hit Netflix in the U.S. back uh, on Halloween last year. 
So we've been very jealous ever oh, since. So, well, I was planning too. It was just like, as soon as we get back in the States, I'm we're, I, like, I'm just going to live in the RV and watch Dragula and it's going to be wonderful. And then this quarantine hit and yeah. I was just like, I'm never going to be in America ever again. <laughs> Turns out we're just dummies. Now I did look on justwatch.ca. They told me that it was available nowhere. So I'm blaming that website. Uh, but that's no big deal. We've got it now. We're binging it. And I'm super excited to check out the Creatures of the Night podcast here on the Fangoria Podcast Network. Uh, welcome to the fam. Thank you for bringing it back around. I was just going to talk about Dragula for the rest of this intro. <laughs> I figured as much. <laughs> I've been reading and I'm almost done reading Grady Hendrix's Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, which is incredible. It is such a good read. You absolutely have to check this book out. It is uniquely... You cover it, you're covering your mouth. You're so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's absolutely hysterical the characters are amazing it's a bunch of housewives that had a book club that are now essentially just vampire hunters um and it is if you're familiar with grady hendrix from either paperbacks from hell or my best friend's exorcism you already have an idea for his uh unique sense of humor and just he is so good at creating such fun characters and he's and- such a fun wordsmith like yes. he, he's got a way of like tumbling down a hill with words that i just love it's almost like this kind of like carnival showman about about everything Agreed. that he writes. Like he's trying to sell you tonic off the back of a wooden cart. I love it. Yeah, there's there's like a, a fun mania behind it almost. Mm-hmm. And like you really get it in this book too because, you know, these women are housewives and mothers and, you know, they are trying to carve out a, bit, a little bit of a life for themselves, which unfortunately now means slaying vampires. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, fortunately for us. But he doesn't let go of the fact that they have a hundred other responsibilities. The kids gotta go to school. They gotta, you know, fix their outfit for this. They gotta bake up high for this sort of social. They gotta do whatever else. And it's... It's, I mean, it gives you a new appreciation for how much stuff your parents did, especially your mom, but um, it makes me very anxious. Like, there's too much on their to-do list. They're not going (laughs) to kill these vampires. Um, And some exciting news. We actually sat down with, uh, remotely, because quarantine, uh, Grady Hendrix to talk on a new episode of the Nightmare Alley podcast, our side detour podcast on Nightmare on Film Street. And that episode's going to be coming out next Thursday. So we have a super fun conversation with Grady. He talks about the book and tons of other stuff, quarantine life, Asian cinema, some really fun, weird, wonderful stories. I've been really enjoying these Nightmare Alley podcasts. Uh, Last week, we talked to Brandon Christensen, the director of Z, which is a really cool, scary, imaginary friend movie that's coming to Shudder this weekend. In fact, it'll be on Shudder tomorrow, May 7th, just in time for Mother's Day. I highly recommend you check that movie out. And, you know, if you can't wait uh, or you want a little more backstory afterward, you can always check out that Nightmare Alley podcast that we released last week in the Nightmare Feed. If you're looking for something to do this weekend, we have a couple fun recommendations. The Salem Horror Fest has been doing an amazing job of uh, creating these remote events, and they're going to be doing a super fun Mother's Day event that is happening all day on Mother's Day, and they're doing it live on Facebook. So you just need to head to the Salem Horror Facebook page to find out all the awesome stuff they're doing. They have panels, they're showing classic films, there is all kinds of stuff, and it is literally all day long. So head to Salem Horror and check that out because it's free, it's fun, and... You want to support festivals during stuff like this. You want to support everybody. All these cool, creative horror people are finding really awesome ways to keep the community spirit alive and keep us connected. And I think we should, one, participate so it keeps us sane and makes us feel like we're still human beings who are interacting with each other. But also because 
Um, these brands wouldn't exist without people supporting and watching them. So we need to do that now much like as much as ever. Yeah. And the, the panels themselves are do- talking with a lot of female filmmakers, including Rebecca McKendry. She'll be there. There's a huge showcase of horror shorts. But like Kim was mentioning uh, in terms of classics, uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch The Wasp or Attack of the 50 Foot Woman, now is the time. Uh, and you should get your mom on Zoom. Watch some classic horror movies with mom on Zoom. You have this like mom on Zoom thing. Like it is your dream desire. Mom on Zoom, watching horror, consuming horror. I think it's funny to scare mom. I think that's what it comes down to. In terms of streaming stuff online also, I know we're going a little long, but the you've got a lot of time right now. We're just trying to help you fill it as best we possibly can. I watched a really really strange movie this morning called She's Allergic to Cats. Uh, It originally had a festival circuit in 2016. It's from uh, the director Michael Reich, and it is so bizarre. I don't know how to explain it. Um, It's it's like a semi-autobiographical story about a guy who moves to L.A., to make movies but winds up dog grooming in the back though like there's a lot of weird stuff that's going on it's really it's edited like a like a 90s music video on acid it's really strange but in the background he's also trying to pitch a remake of carrie with cats so i mean at the very least there's something there for horror i'm interested i really want (laughs) to see it and like he kind of compiles it in in the movie like you kind of see it as sort of like this fever dream image um, like it's a lot of like images on top of other images on top of other images. So you kind of get the blood bath sequence a few times. It's available on VOD through Giant Pictures releasing, but the, the company Spectacle has been doing something really interesting that they did uh, earlier this week with She's Allergic to Cats by broadcasting the movie on Twitch and having like a live interaction with the director. It's something that they're going to continue doing, which is really interesting because you sort of get that festival theater experience on a platform that you're probably already using, Twitch. We've been using it a little bit to to broadcast Friday the 13th streams. But, you know, if, if you are in the mood for a midnight movie and you are just craving something absolutely strange, I'd recommend checking it out. It's not for everybody, but it is very, very bizarre. And occasionally you need a little bizarre. Side note to The Lodge also landed on Hulu this week. If you have Hulu, definitely check out The Lodge. It's super eerie, super sinister. And some of you have already seen it because I think it's out on Blu-ray. Um, but it's now on Hulu, so super accessible now. One last sort of film festival experience that you can have at home right now. We uh, would have been heading to New Orleans for the Overlook Film Festival. Sad face. Big sad face. Because, like, they, the curation there is incredible. It's usually where we see, like, the first of our, like, top ten movies of the year. But they do an incredible job of setting up immersive games that play out all across the city. Uh, Especially from a company called E3W Productions, who's doing something really cool right now online that you can play. And it just started. Yes, it started Wednesday yesterday if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out it's gonna play out entirely online i'm not quite sure what it's gonna be yet uh we just saw the post and we followed a mysterious account who started posting videos and stuff i have no idea what we're gonna get into but apparently there's gonna be like live stream chats and we're gonna be engaging with fake characters maybe some actors i these are kind of new to me because we generally lean more towards the film side when we go to film festivals and we don't really have a lot of time to do immersive events we've done a few of the capsulized ones that were more a little like theater performances but nothing that has been long form so i'm super excited to play this uh the website actually says that you can jump in a little later so even if you're just hearing this friday saturday you can hop onto their instagram account and i'm sure you can catch up 
If you get ahead, though, if you get any hints or you you think you've solved puzzles and stuff, please direct message John or myself because we're probably struggling. (laughs) Yeah, so again, just look them up on Instagram, E3W Productions. Everything you need to know is there. You can hop on. It's totally free. Let's solve a mystery together. (laughs) And lastly, real quick, I just have like a bit of a warning. I do apologize. We recently posted a video on Patreon that sort of just came into our inbox mysteriously no it was really creepy i thought it was cool i thought it was you know fun so i was like hey guys check this out and i I gotta let everybody know sydney carl stephanie Lindsay, josh jay jeff a lot of people watch this video alexia dara mark caitlin michael marley terry wendy you're cursed i (laughs) i don't know how else to say this i do apologize i took it down immediately but you uh you know you Unfortunately, if you've heard your name, did watch this video, and you will be getting a phone call in seven days. From the time we recorded, so you now have six days. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And hey, if you only listen to this on Sunday, I'm real sorry, but like you got three, four days left. You <laughs> might want to tie your affairs up or pass it on. Mm-hmm. Not sure if that works. We didn't get any rules, but that's kind of <laughs> how curses usually go. Uh, you know, while you're here, you know, a few days, I just want to thank you so much for your support on Patreon, obviously. <laughs> and again, apologies. I can't apologize more. Um, you know, hit me up if you need a good movie recommendation for I mean, the end of the world. Good news, though, you're not cursed anymore because you passed it on. That's true. So um, it, it, you can thank them for continuing Nightmare on Film Street. Thank you for saving my life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much to our new supporters on Patreon. If you want to enjoy some bonus content and support the show, you can head to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. Apologies that this intro is incredibly long, much longer than normal, but there is actually a lot of really great, interesting content and, and activities out there for you to take advantage of while we're all stuck at home. In the meantime, though, let's get into it. Kim, let's talk about, I think, maybe your favorite movie I'm so excited. of all time. Let's talk about Robert Zemeckis's What Lies Beneath. I think she's starting to suspect something. <laughs> Who? Your wife. <laughs> I heard noises. And what I, kind I didn't of want to disturb were? you, but at the house, I was scared. Claire's hearing things. What are you hearing? Voices whispering. A picture fell. Missing girl. Do you remember this? No. I stopped at this cafe to get a coffee and I see Norman, but he wasn't alone. Look at this. Doesn't that look exactly like a face and there's a hand, see? Someone who's very close to me seems to be in contact with some kind of entity or or spirit. There's a ghost in my house. Any idea what she wants? She said... Did you know her? I had an affair with her. She came out here to the house, threatened to kill herself. Get out! We can put this behind us. Our life can go on. It's not too late. You had an affair with a girl who killed herself, and now she's trying to hurt you. What does she look like? She looked like me. (laughs) Only she had green eyes. Stop! Hello, Dr. Spencer. Claire! No, I'm 
think she's starting to suspect something. Ooh. Your wife. What Lies Beneath from 2000, currently sitting at a 6.6 .6 out of 10 on IMDb, 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, 2 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and 3.0 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Ebert doesn't like a good ghost story. <laughs> Two out of four, Ebert? Ebert. Because he wasn't in a thriller mood. I guess not. <laughs> Honestly, kind of down the middle of the road for some of these. Oh, well. I'm surprised that the ratings were, yeah, not ecstatic. I mean, that, that said, I wasn't nuts about this movie when I first saw it, but I was 12 and knew nothing. This movie rocks. <laughs> this movie's so fucking good. <laughs> yeah, I saw this movie in theaters. Year yep. 2000, Kim, you know? Uh, I think I was 12. <laughs> and uh, really dug it. Loved it immediately. Yep. All right. Did you uh, have any idea of who the director was? Because, like, you've come to realize how much Robert Zemeckis has made an impression on your childhood. <laughs> Robert Zemeckis is my DNA, yeah. Uh, no, it was more of, like, a Michelle Pfeiffer thing. Like, I had the Grease 2 Michelle Pfeiffer fangirling oh that makes sense yeah so i don't know the the more i watch this movie and this movie is i will say on at our house a lot i watch this <laughs> quite often uh and we only own a vhs copy which is weird but whatever i'm fine with it i'm i'm also fine with it i am okay with it i find every single time i watch this movie i enjoy it more and more and more and more and i don't i I think I'm at my, like, max What Lies Beneath love, but... Are you scared to watch it again? Kind of. Oh, no! But also, so I read the screenplay today because... <laughs> As you do. I got really invested last night when we were watching it, and I was like, I need to read the screenplay. I believe you said Stan. And, like, I Stan? Or... Didn't, didn't you? What? Didn't you say you Stan this movie? I do kind of Stan this movie. Yeah. But yeah, I read the screenplay today, and now I kind of feel like I need to watch it again because there were some like minor changes and differences and stuff, and I found my brain being like, I need to rewatch that scene. Uh, what's the What's the biggest scene that changed the movie a little bit for you that's not included in the movie? So there's only one major like cut from the film okay. that was in, at least the version that I read. The version that I read was... I think maybe in between early draft, later draft. So I don't know at what point it got cut. But she goes to visit her daughter at her dorm. Okay. And her daughter's not there, but some guy there tells her that she's at this, like, punk club. No. So then she goes to this punk club. What? And her daughter is a bass player in a band. And she didn't know. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that, I, okay, that works, though, because she's a musician. Yeah. And, like, yeah. And her daughter's going to Juilliard, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or is it that she went to Juilliard? She went to Juilliard. My mistake. Which, okay, that's something that I really wanted to talk about on this podcast, because the juilliard tank top i think is some of the greatest exposition storyline delivery ever it i'm so with you so well buried yeah it's so and it's done in just like a quick few quick shots 30 seconds you know everything about yes, that woman right exactly yeah oh, like not so only good. not only is she an empty nester she's sending her daughter off to school to for music right she's also going for music i think no i think she's just going to college but it's Maybe making her reminiscent of all that she's kind of given up to have the daughter and yeah she went to juilliard she became like an incredible cellist and cellist cellist 
Yeah. I think we've done this before. Yep. Uh, and yeah, and like while she's looking at old photographs being like a sad mom, in the back collecting dust is her cello. Well, yeah, but the, you're you're glazing over the tank top, John. The <laughs> yeah. tank top is what's important. So it, She gave the tank she, top to her daughter, right? She, so it kicks off this nostalgia kick, which totally makes sense because her daughter's just gone off to school. She's putting laundry away or whatever, and she smells this tank top that her, that's in her daughter's dresser and on the tank top are these worn out juilliard letters and you're like huh they, why do they like why do they care so much about the letters and then later like five minutes later she's being reminiscent in the basement slash attic or wherever yeah and she's going through this album and we see the juilliard tank top getting newer and newer first we see it on the daughter who's just like doing some i don't know sportsy photo whatever <laughs> but then we see michelle pfeiffer a young michelle pfeiffer wearing yeah. it with a baby on her hip yeah and so like we see the evolution of the juilliard tank top and it's, it's something so that she's good. never given up she's never let go of oh it's really good like and that's one of the, like, the biggest strengths of this movie i think is the the story is really tight really oh, tight. so good it moves it has it's been trimmed of all fat yes yeah this this movie it just keeps trucking along it doles out information it, it lets you know all of the things that are going to be important and come up later but you don't know that yet in that first album like we see the car wreck from the car crash there's like a, a polaroid and it says for insurance or whatever yeah and we see norman's hang up about his dad about his dad's passing there's, there's, it's all there. It's all in that album. Well, even in the even in the photo, there's the date, uh, and then a few minutes later, there's a shot of a calendar. So, like, if you're really paying attention, you can see that it's we're coming up on the one year anniversary of that car accident, which is like it's swirling around this whole movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because like the last year has been very. I don't want to say tumultuous, but like there's been th- this last year has been rough. She like they moved into a new house. She got into a car accident. Her daughter is leaving. Like it's been a big change in her life. Mm-hmm. And of course, one year prior, an even bigger change. A big th- the fucking splash in the water that sent ripples throughout everything. <laughs> and it's all it's like oh the waves hitting the beach now. Oh your metaphors, John. They're so deep. <laughs> oh yeah, they're good. They're also <laughs> gone. This is it. We've hit rock bottom. <laughs> And another thing that I really love, I'm just going to just I'm just going to go through with story it's beats. It's going to be one I of enjoy. those episodes. It's okay. The the entire neighbor MacGuffin. It, it's so good. It's so perfect. It's because, so Hitchcocky and I love it. Well, in the whole premise of the story, the I guess even the setting you could call it is this empty nest woman who's she's so boring she is bored she's boring and she's at a point in her life where absolutely nothing is going on she is she's sinking into a tub never to return yeah of old age boredom because she's got nothing but her fucking flowers and she falls into this Hitchcocky and rear window situation where she, we're Fright Night, I guess, where she thinks the neighbor's a vampire. No, where she thinks the neighbor has has murdered his wife. And well, even before that, it's just like the hot goss, right? Because the the neighbors are fighting all the time. Oh, they're oh, fucking too. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those relationships they fight all day so at night they can make. Them. I don't want that in there. It stays. No. But it's also for, like, hot gossip, right? Because So true. Right? Because the neighbors, they are fighting all the time, and they want to pay attention to what's going on. They want to 
figure out exactly well, she gets what the fucking binoculars out. <laughs> yeah, and then of course later on at night they can hear them making up next door. Should we take him? Like, ew, Harrison Ford, stop. That is the th- Okay, so this movie is definitely made for middle-aged married people who have kids. And we are kids- so not the target audience. No, 12 no, year no. old me is like, I love Michelle Pfeiffer in her saucy thriller. <laughs> but like watching it, it's like, yeah, I guess this is how older people seduce each other. Like, like I don't I don't like it. Don't like Tell it. me about my accolades. <laughs> Make it easy, huh? And, like, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure Harrison Ford is the eye candy of this movie. Which is weird. He's shirtless and, like, being a husband a bunch. <laughs> I mean, you know what's funny? You you say that, but at the end of the movie, there are a few sort of, like, highlighted credits. And one of them is Harrison Ford's wardrobe provided by whoever. And I'm like, I, I think I just remember him wearing boring They were shirts. both like grayish people. They yeah. were very Banana Republic boring. Yeah. So boring. Yeah, and that's like nothing special about his costumes and and it doesn't really necessarily tell me anything about his character other than he occasionally accepts awards. <laughs> you know, like that's... As per the framed newspapers in his study. Why do they frame newspapers? Maybe because they didn't have a photo of the event, John. It, somebody they, very clearly pre- took a photo. <laughs> this was pre-Facebook pages where you cut things out of the newspaper. I feel like you could have gotten an actual photo. Now that said... It does provide a great avenue for more ghosts. info. Yeah, for <laughs> ghosts. Like, we need info. She's not going to go to the library and pull out microfiche. She's got the high fancy internet now. But also newspapers that are hidden in your photo family albums. I do want to talk about the neighbors a little bit more. Though. I do too, because I'm, okay. I'm not done talking about how boring she is. Yeah. <laughs> so boring. No, but I think it's just a great version of, of story irony that... She's so busy thinking there's this murder across the fence yeah. when she should be looking in her own back pond. <laughs> okay. Backyard. Yep. Whatever. You know what I meant. I know exactly what you meant. No, And like that, that's something that's really cool about this movie because it's all about her discovering, spoiler alert, uh, secrets that her husband has been keeping. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and it's, it's secrets that she maybe already kind of knows. So, like, really, this whole movie is... Which is so great. It's a therapy session for her, right? Because at first, she is projecting onto other people yes and she needs to she, she's externalizing her fears and insecurities and she needs to realize that it's at her house it's inside her rather than other people because you know she's worried for her neighbor and like her, her there is an intensity about her neighbor but it's it's definitely nothing to be scared about she's just too scared to confront things about herself that she just doesn't want to talk about mm-hmm. because she'd rather you raise a perfect daughter and have some great, you know, roses out in the in the gardening. Club. There's there's some really great moments in this movie, and you kind of just brought me to one of them. It's just a, a a line that she says to she gets a therapist at some point throughout the movie because she starts to get pretty um pretty crazy about this ghost in the house, and when we discover that the neighbor has not murdered his wife that she basically went to her mother's because their relationships are tumultuous and she calls him out publicly and it's a real bad look oh it's a bad look (laughs) it's a real bad look for her but when the therapist starts asking her about her marriage she says to him i had this episode i i in this empty nester crazy episode and i want to deal with that like that's what 
I, I, I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. In a sense, she's she's admitting that she's compartmentalizing what she's willing to address yeah. or even see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we, is, if we don't bring it up, it doesn't exist. It's so perfect. It's it's what lies beneath their relationship. <gasps> the whole movie's great. Every single bit of it. Every interaction that she has with literally everybody is so fucking good. Like, I love her friend Judy. Oh, I love her friend too. Or Jody. Jody. Jody, my mistake. Her friend Jody's great. I also love that she never shows up when Norman isn't around. She only comes during the day. She's always gone before dinner. And it's, it's almost like she doesn't exist. Like, if this was a different yeah. movie, she <laughs> would be a manifestation of her own. She could be a ghost. Yeah. Except she's too saucy about um, the neighbor eating his, like, sad microwave dinners that you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Jody's real. <laughs> and she comes to, to have a seance with her and the and the, uh, the Ouija board. And that's so fun. This movie does paranormal very lightly, mm-hmm. um, but it, it doesn't fuck around. Like, we have books on demonic possession. We have demonic possession. Or we have spiritual possession. Yeah. Like we have entities entering bodies. We're trying to get rid of curses by burning them. Like, this movie is actually doing a lot of spooky shit. It's got a... It, it, and it's really good about how it uses a sparing ghost hand because like the the ghost stuff isn't all throughout the movie it's not in i thought you meant a literal hand i was like there's a ghost hand (laughs) (laughs) yo where's this ghost hand? sorry you mean it it, it's it's how that from the script how it's utilizing it's like visual yeah ghostly apparitions yeah exactly i mean like we don't it's not uh it's not the conjuring it's not paranormal activity but Mm -hmm. we do have enough to really get an uneasy sense of what's going on and to at least know there are ghosts yeah The, the first few things that really start to pop up are the, the the front door not closing which is so great and subtle it's it's nothing really right it's something that happens in your house all the time but it's weird that it keeps happening and when they bust out that ouija board and the bathroom door opens boom you know ghost is here like it's so simple it's so subtle mm-hmm. but it reaffirms itself when it comes again later right? yeah or, well and yeah. and an interesting thing, too, is that so the ghost seems to be leading her certain places, um, the door opening, bringing her towards the study, finding the picture, the music, but like the study, the study, the study, the door. Um, and that's because there's so much tumultuous shit went down at whatever the ghost is trying to get her to remember mm-hmm. because we find in the one year ago incident that spawned the car accident and this entire thing is that she came home to discover her husband with this girl who is now a ghost. Yep. And there is the most wonderful shot it's the greatest thing of I've how she discovers it because she sees them in the hall mirror, which points directly into the study. Yeah. So I honestly think that the door opening is almost like a ghostly echo of her entering the house to discover how everything went down. I think you're so fucking right. I yeah. think that's perfect. Yeah. Because all, all you got to do is just walk in and see it, right? Yeah. It's so good. And she's like, and almost like she's trying to give her the physical memory of, like, remember how everything changed for you when you walked into this house? That's so fucking funny. And like, it's it's all of these moments that she's, quote-unquote, forgotten that the ghost is trying to remind her of. Because the the frame, there is a picture that, that keeps falling, and the, the glass breaks in the frame. And the photo was taken at a party that she actually doesn't really remember much about. Because it's where she saw his mistress for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's what really sort of kicked everything off for her. So the ghost is, you're right, the ghost is constantly trying to get her to just 
walk in her own footsteps again. Yeah. Rather than in the ghosts, which is interesting. But the ghost, like, like... There's actually... So there's a really good line in the screenplay that uh, I don't think made it into the movie. I'm pretty sure it didn't. So how she realizes at the party about uh, all that went down is that Harrison Ford is schmoozing with, like, his boss or whatever. And she's just kind of idling by the bar, being like, oh, I don't want to be here. Yeah. And the hostess comes up to her and basically, like carefully asks her how she's doing because she tells her like oh the last time i saw you was at this party a year ago yeah for that you made an ass out of yourself yeah for that dupont award and the the scene goes down the same way is how she discovers that she broke the crystal and and the woman says like you look like you've seen a ghost and that kind of like perks her up but at the end of that little conversation the hostess the woman says we need to stick together and then claire goes why and she's like oh the wives as if the wives need to stick up for one another like I love that. Yeah. I really I really think that that is a huge part of the movie because it's it's so great that this this older woman uh is checking in on her to see that she's okay because yeah. I guess she gets the sense that nobody else is cuz nobody's asking her if she's okay. Mm-hmm. And she does the uh, Claire Michelle Pfeiffer's character does the exact same thing for this missing girl because one nobody's looking out for this girl. And two, she, like she goes to see this girl's mother, and like it, she's there to sort of get oh, more. That's info. a good scene too. It's so fucking good, oh. right? But it's, it's also like, like nobody's just, checking in on this woman either. Yes, and moments like that just elevate this this story so much more than like the canned thriller that I think a lot of people like underestimate it for. Yeah, the moment when the mom asks Michelle Pfeiffer, sorry, asks Claire, like, "Why are you here?" and she just so honestly says she doesn't know. And then the mom, instead of being like, we'll get out of my house, she's like, do you want to see her room? Yeah. Because she recognizes like this this grief and this longing for something. And it's just that all these like, people are alone in their sadness. Yes, and, but they're, they're all kind of looking out for each other in a way, yeah. right? And I think that's what's so cool about the ghost. Because once you kind of gather that the ghost has a message and isn't there to just like haunt them or even get back at Harrison Ford because there's this little kind of derailment in the middle of the movie when Norman gets smart to Claire's kind of ghost hunt and he fake electrocutes himself in the tub. (laughs) But when we realize that he's done it and it wasn't the ghost or anything, the ghost's primary mission isn't to kill Norman. No. The ghost's primary mission is for Claire to to wise up and get the fuck out of there. I honestly think the ghost has her back from moment one. Like, I really think so. I think one of the biggest scares of the movie is when she finds a bathtub full of water and she pulls the plug to, to let it drain out and then we see a reflection of the ghost in the water also. Mm-hmm. I think that's her warning her about Norman attempting to kill her later in later in the movie mm. because she's a ghost she exists outside of time yeah, right yeah, yeah. like i think it's very guillermo del toro to have these ghosts i was gonna you. say that too <laughs> yeah yeah like i think that's what makes us love some ghost stories like yeah. like when it's done in that way where ghosts are they, they they are crying out for help but it's like the damage is already done so like i just want the people who are worried for me and don't know what happened to me to know and also to warn you that this person is still dangerous like there are still there is still danger out there you know like i I love that fucking ghost yeah and so something that i always think about every time i watch this movie and i'd like to get your opinion on it okay 
we find out this kind of all came to a head because Claire found out or because the girl was no longer satisfied with being like the side piece or whatever. I think she's starting to suspect something. Ooh. Your wife. Stop it! And then the eye color change. Oh, so good. They established so much. That is like trailer candy, but like (laughs) it's still movie candy. Oh, it's so good. Sorry. So you wanted my opinion. Yes. Do you think Norman. Yes. Norman Harrison Ford. Yeah. Drowned her in the bathtub, the girlfriend, and then drove out to the bridge and dumped the car with her in it. Oh, that's a really good question. Like, do you think because he threw the box in the lake, like, I, I feel like the bathroom could also be where the girl died like that could just be okay like he drowned her in the bathtub well uh i don't see any reason why not because he the the same drug that the anesthetic that he's using to drug michelle pfeiffer he could have done the exact same thing right to her i mean at the very least he could have drowned her in the tub um and then gotten rid of her body because he seemed to have no problem having her at the house no that's which is super fucked up. But uh, I guess I've never really thought about that. I, I guess I just assumed that he strangled her is was my thought. Yeah, I assumed the same thing, too. But killing somebody in a car is kind of hard. Whoa. You, it's definitely hard. Like you could I guess you could drug them. But then you still got to hope they don't wake up and escape the car. Um, you know, it's it. There is a chance that. She was worried she wanted to call it off or she wanted to tell his wife about it. And so he invited her to the house to do it. And instead he drugged her and killed her. Yeah. And so like the the craziest thing about that is that Michelle Pfeiffer, if that's the case, could have stopped her murder. Because instead of seeing him with this girl and bailing out on the house and getting into a car accident, because that's exactly what happened. Yeah, so she saw that scenario. She could have confronted them. And it could have all been out in the open. Yeah. Although I wouldn't put any blame on Michelle Pfeiffer. No, 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 (laughs) She had no idea what was happening. No, no, totally. But, and the thing too is we don't know 100% what happened with the relationship between Harrison Ford and uh, Madison, this this girl turned ghost, because he goes through so many stages of gaslighting her in this process. Because, well, when you try to watch the movie from his perspective, knowing, like, what he's done, and kind of that she's sort of coming out of this amnesia, and it's manifesting in, like, the neighbor's trying to murder the other neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And then when when she comes with, like, the printout of the actual of the girl. Mis- like the, yeah, and, like, like, the missing poster? Yeah. That's a great scene when you know that he's killed her. Oh, and, well, and he starts to concede a little bit, like, okay, yes, I did have an affair, but she... Mm. She wouldn't let me call it off, and she threatened suicide, and then and then she killed herself in the house. And yeah, then, like the details like, just keep changing yeah. and changing. But at one point, he says that she was going to tell the dean. So she probably, maybe she was young enough at that point that I think it was one of his students. Yeah, and it would have ruined him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's an idiot. Because <laughs> he's a huge idiot. Well, and he's not even sorry, to be honest. That's like, the fucking thing. He's not sorry. <laughs> when they have their big blow up about him just not even murdering her, just cheating on her, and he's just like, somebody finally paid attention to me. And it was just like, dude, you are not even sorry. I slept one time. And you're like, what? <laughs> I, I, this is not how you get forgiveness. One of my favorite scenes, which is, is almost nothing in the movie, is when Jody is telling Claire about 
a time where she went, to, she saw Oh, that's Norman. a weird scene. It's so good, though. She says that she saw him in a cafe, and he went, and with a girl that she didn't recognize, but she thought nothing of it. She went over to say hi, but, and, but they were arguing, and something about the way they were talking to each other gave her pause, I think is what she says, and she just backed away and walked out. I love that so much and it's throughout it a lot of tells you this. so much something that i love about this movie about how you don't have to have all the details to know the story yeah right michelle pfeiffer comes in she sees a reflection of her husband with another younger woman in their house she immediately knows what's going on and the details don't matter it's just the image and you have all the info um and it's the same with her friend Jody, and uh, you know this. This is almost a witch movie. Like, let's be real. Like, especially the way the women all take care of each other. This could just as easily be like George A. Romero's uh, Season of the Witch Part Two. And the funny thing is, when we got, we finally got that image of a soaking wet Claire. It is so fucking in, good. Oh, in the mirror, it is so like Suspiria. Yeah, because at that point she's possessed too, right? Oh. So like, that's a visualization that we she is outside of her body, looking in, and it's yes, like she's trapped she's in that ghost possessing herself looking at a memory of yeah you're just like what the fuck is happening it's incredible (laughs) incredible are we in a giallo (laughs) it's amazing oh my god so good so good and like everything in this movie just sort of gets like wrapped up in a neat little bow too like the fact that the cell phone doesn't work until we're at the center of the bridge which we don't have time to get into now and (laughs) (laughs) I, i think it's so kind of great though that the finale of the movie takes place at that bridge because it's just like Claire's thing is cars, and oh, Norman's yeah, thing crashes. is, like, murdering girls in water. And it, it all comes to a head. <laughs> yes, it's just everything. Like, it's the whole fucking shit. Like, it is so tight. Everything gets bookended. Like, even at the beginning of the movie where she almost electrocutes herself, but, like, oh, thank God it's a it's a, it's a GFI breaker, and it was able to trip there. And, like, that's how Norman was able to not commit suicide early. Ugh. Why does he do that? Is it so that Claire believes that he believes there's a ghost or that the ghost's sole like, ambition is to hurt them and so that they need to like exercise the ghost and then they're fine? I think it's just a cheap ploy to get her to come home because he's hurt. So she's going to come running to see if he's okay. Yeah. I think it's just a shithead move because also if he's planning on killing her, and I, I, what, I think what's... the killing her thing is very last minute. Like, I think it comes. I, it seems fucking planned. Well, I mean, maybe he's got a stock of that shit just in case he needs to murder a blonde girl. That's that's a good point. That is a good point. I don't think he's planning on doing that when he, quote unquote, you know, attempts suicide. Yeah, because I think he keeps trying to get her off this story. Yeah, I think he's just hoping that she'll fucking put it in the past like he has. Yeah. Oh, well. You know, um, just because we're running out of time, the only thing I gotta say I don't love about this movie is that she saw it all and then hit her head and forgot. I don't like that. I don't love the selected amnesia stuff. I would have been much better off with her having seen it and then just bottling it and forgetting about it. Yeah. Rather than hitting her head and coming back to her now. So the film is vague enough. Like, I don't think it's a medical thing that she doesn't remember it. I don't think so either. I think it's it's also just kind of like a hard reset or a soft reset that you get. Like, I got into a car accident. He's worried about me. Let's put it all behind us. Yeah. Things are fine now. Like, she definitely didn't know there was murder. Yeah. I think she could have maybe put that all behind her if there wasn't murder. Well, yeah, because if she knew. had woken up from that accident and been like, okay, well, what about your mistress? And he'd be like, hmm? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Taken care of. Yeah. Baby. I, I, 
I also think it comes down to the type of person she is in that she like she keeps a tidy house and she's super boring and she compartmentalized like the only creative portion of herself that she's a musician in the basement. I think she's always kind of known and she's just locked it away somewhere in herself. I agree. I, uh, which is I great. To- I, which is great. <laughs> but unfortunately, they present it as she she hit her head, and, and now it's coming back. I guess that's how she sees it. Yeah. Is is, is it like that's? I still don't love it. <laughs> it's the only thing that I can find to say that I don't love it. I'm this pretty movie. sure this is maybe the the best thriller ever. It's pretty fucking great. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of hate that we term this movie as a thriller because like it's got fucking ghosts. It's got. You when you think Harrison Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer, you I know, do not think like, thriller. Yeah, yeah, you do not think horror movie. Like those names do not spell horror. Yeah, but it, I, I can see it's got this maybe because of the casting. It's got this appeal that yes, I could have totally watched this movie with my mom. Maybe I did. I don't even remember. But I mean, I saw this movie in theaters with my grandpa. I saw so. this movie in theaters with a church group. Really? <laughs> yeah, we did. It's pretty racy when Michelle Pfeiffer is eating that apple and she's like, forbidden fruit. Yeah, no, I think it got a little uncomfortable. <laughs> and your pastor's just like, close your eyes, children. Yeah. <laughs> do not do not eat of the sinning woman's words. <laughs> yeah, do not listen to the tempted serpent. <laughs> yeah, and there's books on like demons and, and witchy stuff. Yeah, but it was from the director of Castaway. I think that's what got everybody's attention. Is that a... That is another church group movie. We're going uh, to go see that. I guess because it's like uplifting but also like super depressing. Yeah. Castaways. You know, it's fun fact before we get into ratings. Uh, Castaways. Four to four. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they filmed, they filmed uh, the production of Castaway was split into two segments. There's the section where they filmed it where Tom Hanks was a little overweight uh, for his character. And then, you know, they, they filmed, you know, the, the plane crash and the first few weeks or whatever on the island. Then they, they cut and waited I don't know, a few months for Tom Hanks to become completely emaciated uh, to come back and film the back half of the movie. And in that period, Robert Zemeckis made What Lies Beneath. The funniest thing about this whole thing is that you tell me this fact every single time I make I'm telling them! I know! I'm just saying, you tell me this fact every single time I watch What Lies Beneath, and now you have completed it full circle in that in this episode, immortalized in audio stone. Yep. They all have to hear your one castaway what lies beneath fun fact. <laughs> I hope it blows your mind like it blew mine. I could also be wrong. <laughs> I, have, I have in fact checked it. <laughs> That's what I've heard, and we all know Hollywood stories, 100% fact. Oh my. I, uh, I am also giving this movie a four out of four. It's pretty fucking good. It's pretty, it's pretty great. I think when I, when I think about the I hit my head and I don't remember stuff. It really bugs me, but I don't give a goddamn. The Juilliard tank top, John. That the thing. This oh man, everything about this movie is so tight. It's so well done. It's so like when you look at a movie, you could set your watch to this movie. This is a. It's it's almost a templative film in you know how to write a movie or like how to craft a good mystery yeah like you could just change out the MacGuffins yeah. to whatever you want for your own story and like it would still track it's so it so works but, and i think if you got rid of the ghost that's what makes it a thriller i think if it was just uh you know a husband and wife dealing, double jeopardy double jeopardy so, oh you, <laughs> you put a ghost in double jeopardy like, oh man all the ghosts of the women at prison come and kill her he, husband in new he orleans did kill some people that's so right. like yeah, um, and we didn't even talk about, too, is what what I kind of love most is, and I think it just goes to show that we are not the target audience for this movie, but it's still 
like resonates with us. And you ever planned your rose before? No. We are not the target audience of this movie. Also, I'm not a like 50 year old living in a ginormous country house on the water who's an empty nester and like nearing retirement. Like that is a protagonist that. Sure, she's a she's a woman, so I sh- I relate to her on that front. But I we live entirely different lives. Oh yeah, she doesn't have to worry about like rent payments and grocery costs and how much her phone bill is. And, and oh boy, does he throw that in her face! And she's such a kind of a a boring person. Yeah, she is. Yeah, um, she knows it. She thinks she's a boring person. It, I think it's just interesting because we don't get protagonists like like when was the last time you had a a horror movie that was run by a, a woman who is like. 45 50 years old that's a great question hereditary i guess oh true yeah it's another reason why i love jody because jody has yes, given up same. that life she's not boring anymore well, i was gonna say hereditary has a jody she just <laughs> she happens sure to be not a good jody no that's a bad jody <laughs> we're gonna start referring to those characters as jody's jody's oh yeah what's the name of the friend in stepford wives is it jody oh man now we're gonna have to have a jody episode battle of the jody's yeah <laughs> good jody versus bad <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so did you rate it? You four out of four it, Four right? out of four it. I also four out of four it. I really like this movie. I fucking love this movie. I, you know what? We should get it on Blu-ray because I'm sure the, uh, like, there are some interesting choices in what they use CGI for in the movie. And I think it's largely to to keep steam away from the camera lens. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that matched with uh, maybe some updated Foley would be real great on that Blu-ray. Oh, my God. We didn't even talk about that shot in the rear view mirror of the car. Oh, the, the, the entire oh. thing is CGI except for the rear view mirrors. Oh, so good, though. It looks great. Oh, it's, it is honestly. Oh. It's it's a it's a timestamp, and it's still good. Even some of the cheesy, like the water effects with the CGI. Nope. I love it. Yeah, no, it. Honest, I love it so much. I was thinking about it today. <laughs> I really think it is because so much of the movie has steam. Uh, it's just so that way they could film in a room that's that's steamed from a hot bath, but you don't have to worry about fogging up the camera. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Next up, The Ring from two thousand two. Also wet, dead, and full of secrets. From 2002, currently sitting at a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, 57% on Metacritic, 
2 out of 4 from Roger Ebert and a 3.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. The first of the American remake resurgence of Japanese horror. Yeah, I mean, if this was this the first one? I'm with I assume. Yeah, it was the, it was the big one. Yeah, yeah, it's capital V. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh change the game as they say. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely, I'd say, the movie that introduced me to J-horror. And they do, like, to Gore Verbinski's credit, they do a great job retaining the same vibe, the same mood and atmosphere, and sort of, like, the the odd storytelling. The only thing they take out, smart move, I'll say, telekinetic stuff with Dad? Yeah. Why is that there? I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) not not really needed in this one. (laughs) Yeah, so... My kind of experience with this movie, I I probably talked about it a bunch on this podcast. I honestly can't remember if I've like concretely talked about it, but scared you. This movie scared you so much. Thanks, John, for taking the scares out of my sales. It's just what everybody says. It did. It, I was t- like twelve, I think, when it came out. I you saw it in the theater. I saw it in the theater on right. Halloween night Ooh, after trick or treating. I think it was my last year trick or treating. I went with a friend from the neighborhood. Got home. And literally could not sleep that night. I had, it was, there was a TV in the corner of my room and I stared at it the whole fucking night. Terrified. Terrified. That's so, has there been another movie like that since? Not, mm, Insidious is pretty close. Sure. The theater experience for Insidious was was pretty fucking I remember just driving home, we were scared. Yeah. Like, I Um, just don't feel right. But even like, yeah, I guess there's like three periods in my life where I have generally been scared by a horror movie. First one was It, uh, 1990, saw it on TV or whatever. Terrified me. Like, haunted me for probably a lot of my childhood. I was I was afraid of Pennywise coming up at the end of my bed. Not that he had, like, a night or a bed thing, but I guess, like, you know, kids, sewers, ends of beds, yeah. all the same. Everything horrible uh, is under the bed. And then The Ring, and then... Insidious. I mean, I guess I'm still a wuss in general. Like, I don't, I don't watch <laughs> spooky scenes. I just close my eyes. But <laughs> that's what blows my fucking mind. Because <laughs> uh, I'll talk to you about. We went to go see Ghost Stories, not the movie, the stage play. When it was a stage play, it and was really scary, John. It was crazy scary, but it was done in such. It was like a technical achievement. To, be, to see live in front of you. And I'm like, you've got fucking scene where like the doll just like hovered up in the air and like went across the room. And you're like, nope, don't remember. Didn't see it. Like, <laughs> like, oh. We had an aisle seat like near the top and there was this like, the walkway there was like shut off by like these ca- this caution tape. And they I had no idea what Ghost Stories was when we saw it. And so yeah. the whole time I was completely terrified there was going to be this non-stage element and it just so happened to be right fucking beside me. So I was on edge the whole play so my theater experience like a 180 degree difference like it couldn't have been couldn't have been more like really blah about it yeah wow. and i think was it because you were trying to be like cool i like, think so like, i yeah, think i was just a shithead i'm 12 we spiked my hair and i had to bring my brother to this screening well i, I mean... hate him but he got me an extra five dollars for popcorn so i guess that's fine well 2003 if it came out around mom gave me 20 instead of 15 halloween i was 15 so yeah that's exactly how i talked uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I was trying to be too cool for school or whatever, but that, that's definitely the age where I, like everybody else, think everything is dumb. 
Because you're just a jerk for like seven years, right? <laughs> you're just the worst human being possible. <laughs> uh, but that jump scare at the beginning still fucking rattled my oh. bones. <laughs> like, I couldn't deny that that was horrifying. So... I'm gonna tell this to you guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna love it. I with feel you guys. like this entire episode is gonna be stories from you about the first time you saw. No, this. I'm just I'm revealing a little piece of myself. Okay. In that I still can't watch that jump scare. <laughs> John tapped me when he knew it was coming, yeah. so I could close my eyes. Yeah. It's scary. It is scary. Her face. I'm sure like the CGI is not good nowadays, but ugh. no, it still looks good. As somebody who watched it last night on VHS, this was a VHS double feature at the NOFS household. Hang on a second, though. The fucking (laughs) copy that we have. We're never going to talk about this movie. We're just going to talk about the the existence of it. So, but that's what's the cool. So, wait, side note. That is the cool thing about the ring. Great about the ring. The fucking tape that we own is this, like, I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's like a special collector's edition where it's in, like, a clear plastic case, which is so cool. But the tape opens with. The ring video. Literally, just that fucking... It comes before the FBI warning, too. Yeah. It literally opens cold with the ring tape. The the, the entire... And you refuse to watch three, it. I don't want to get fucking haunted. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in the power of horror films, John. How many scenes in this movie did you close your eyes? You didn't watch... Did you watch the tape when it came for the first time? Yeah, because we don't see the whole tape. In that scene. Okay, sure. But I did not, so I did not watch watch the the spooky, cold, (laughs) open. Yeah, but that was personal preference. I don't like watching horses die. (laughs) That wasn't a frightened thing. Uh, Yeah, okay. So, spooky opening, full video, did not watch. John watched it. He's cursed. This is our last episode of the Nightmare on Film Street podcast, by the way. Yeah, well, we got seven days. (laughs) I can record a few episodes. We'll bank them up for you guys. (laughs) Yeah, horse scene, first face twist. And then the ending when she crawls out of the TV. I don't watch You that. didn't watch that? I didn't watch Oh, it. you didn't watch it? No. I watched when she came out of the well, and I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then, no, I, I opened my eye just for a second to see her, like, breaking through the TV because I wanted to see that. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, God, we got to go to bed right after this. So I closed my eyes again. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. You know, I remember getting to the end of that movie and being like, ugh, whatever. I So I remember in the theater the moment where it like twists and she's like, oh God, and she's running to whatever her boyfriend's house is, his sweet ass fucking industrial elevator house. Oh yeah. And he lifts up his coffee and there's a ring from the coffee mug. And I was just like, no! Like, literally, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up, and I was just like, the world is ending. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm still nuts about it. I appreciate it. I think it's good. Something about it I don't love. What, the coffee cup Her ring? crawling out of the TV. Oh, I like it. It's it's great in theory. I Here's the thing. She comes up out of that well, and I'm like, oh, fuck. And her hair comes up first. Like, oh, fuck. And she's... Coming toward the screen. Oh, God. And then she comes through the screen, and I'm like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I guess that thing I was worried about happening is happening. But, so what's good about it, though, is that... It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good. It comes at the end, so we're not loaded with Samara the whole movie, which is very smart. It it makes the, the tape this ominous lurking thing kind of, like, 
on the outskirts of the movie. Yes. And there's a lot of spooky, curse-like things that are happening. And Samara is very sparing, which is super smart. But I think the moment where she is at that, I don't know, tape facility and she pulls the fly off the screen is what makes Samara coming out of the TV at the end make sense. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You're right. That is, that's very true. That is a genius move. And it makes this something that would happen in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, mean, I don't think I've ever thought of that. It's the key to like the finale. You're right. And I, I don't know if I've ever paid so much attention before to the medical tapes where we see like the young Samara in the hospital. Yeah. And when Rachel gets a chance to look at her like artwork. Yeah. Because it's not traditional like her son's been doing is just like scribbling rings on paper and scratching people's eyes out. Yeah. Uh, she like manifests art and it's on projector film. Like yeah. she's literally making film. And the fact that she manifests this tape above her own grave that these teens discover and it's here's, here's... imagery from her death. It's yeah. Like, so I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause I don't think I'd ever paid attention to that either. Never gave it any thought. That's fucking awesome. You've really watched it this time. Like I, I, it's like, I'm still not watching this movie. <laughs> appar- apparently it's something I want to think about with the tape though. Did the tape just appear or did the images on the tape appear? Cause I'm thinking, and this is the first time I think I noticed this also, they tried to tape a football game off the TV. And when they went to back to oh, watch like the they football made game, the tape. They made the tape. By recording something. But yeah, by recording nothing, because the reception was so bad, it didn't get anything. And even if it did, it probably wouldn't have been anything. But the fact that they were making a tape above And she her, was just down there, like, brewing these yeah. images. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I mean, like, that really goes into your whole sort of, uh, you know, grudge idea that a death can be so chaotic that there's ripples of it that just sort of like cascade out across time Mm -hmm. and affect the real world that's awesome i love all that that's probably too and i I don't want to talk about the ending yet but the nature of the ghost is absolutely my favorite thing about this movie and it couldn't have been born in america this story because it doesn't follow the rules of our ghosts not at all because samara is bad yes she's not a nice girl i don't know that this movie does enough of a job painting how bad she is yeah i think they really want to avoid making her a villain yeah they don't really touch on the fact that mom what mom did was right like, potentially, I mean, like, yeah, I'm, I'm passing a judgment here, but Samara definitely killed those horses because she was jealous of the attention yes. that her father paid them. And mom, despite the only thing she ever wanted in the world, having a daughter, had to drown her daughter, had to suffocate and drown her daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah Which yeah. then, like, killed, like, which killed her to do. She killed yeah, herself. she killed herself, yeah. You asked a really good question at the end of this movie. I don't think it's ever getting that ever gets brought up. Like, did mom make a pact with the devil? Well, yeah, because I'm just wondering, like, how mom got this kid. Because they she couldn't have kids. They told her it was an impossibility. Yeah, yeah. And this, then she ended up with this like devil child. I, I she think, monkey pawed herself a kid into existence. I think it's so smart to just have the formula for that story in this movie without addressing it. Because mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't matter where 
Samara came from. And we it's think, better if we don't know. We think it does. We think it matters how she died and that Rachel just needs to like solve the mystery of her death because that's just what you do. Yeah. And nowhere does it say that she wants these images deciphered. No. She just wants people to suffer. Yes. That's what makes her an interesting character. I think she's really cool. I love that idea. And I think that if they spun it as mom made a pact with the devil and this is the devil baby. And so we had to kill the devil baby, but the devil baby's still being a devil on earth. Like that would be too much. Like we would say this is too much story and it's, and you've made it overly complicated. We, it should have just been no answers. And that's kind of what we get. And that's why it works. And it's crazy. And it's, it's insane that this movie works on such a level as an American remake, because like you said, it, it pulls all the right lore from that Japanese story. This doesn't exist in North American filmmaking, and it really fucking works. Like, it really works. And yeah. this movie's great to look at. I honestly think Gore Verbinski was the perfect choice to translating this, because he's got a way of doing the really visual, eerie filmmaking that for a movie that's about following surreal art film... To solve a mystery? Like, could you pick up a better conventional director? Like, we can't pluck anybody out of the German expressionism period. So, like, yeah. Gore Verbinski's a pretty good choice. Which is so fucked, because when you think about it, you're like, oh, the mouse hunt guy? Yeah, I guess he could do this. Because <laughs> he didn't do Pirates of the Caribbean before this, I don't think. But, like, just the visuals with, like, the, the tree on the hill and the The tree on setting, the hill. Like, it's just eerie and beautiful, and you're just like... How, how dare this remake have any fucking, like, visual cred? Yes, the movie is amazing to look at, especially that sunset at the hotel, cabin, whatever. It's my favorite part of the movie, and you get it twice! You get it twice! And the visuals even, like, in the fucking well and shit, when you realize the well is the circle, and you're just like, fuck, this is great. Yeah, I mean, there's circles all throughout this goddamn movie. They do a great job. Bought it! <laughs> <laughs> they were made at completely different times. This, this one couldn't exist without the original. I think I almost appreciate how they approach it in the remake more than I more than the original Ringu. I'm going to say it. Which, sorry, like what? I think, I think it's just the idea that this remake exists on American shores adds more to the story. Like in, in a way that I don't get with, the, with Ringu, the, the 1996 film. Um, just something about... And, and the problem with that argument, I guess, is that... Uh, it wouldn't exist without Ringu. So it's 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 almost like the Suspiria thing for me. Like, I think the, the Oh, like new one Sus feeds into yeah, the other? Yeah, I think the new Suspiria makes the old Suspiria better and the old Suspiria makes the new Suspiria better. It's like, it's like the ring is one of those other situations. Like a figure where, eight. Yeah, where it, it also happens that way. Yeah, and well, the, the cool thing about it is that the ring... And you get this with the the cold open and the kind of like traditional horror movie girls talking about um, this faded tape kind of thing is that the ring is so successful because it created a phenomena rather than necessarily like a great film. Not that it isn't a great film, but what's so lasting about the ring is that the the curse within it is almost an early version of those spammy messages you'd get on like Facebook or an email like there's this girl that died eight eight years and if you don't pass on this email she will come visit you and I remember 12 year old me being like this isn't real but forward <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to be safe yeah so 
the fact that it exists on American soil as its own thing is almost like the curse carried itself yeah, over yeah, yeah, here. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, we've created a new boogeyman. There is a new, it's an urban legend. And I think you're right. I think it is more of a phenomena than a film. Like, and that that's part of my problem. I don't love this movie. I don't really care for her journey to the center of what happened. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's honestly because Naomi Watts, I, I do really like her. I think she's a very, like, sweet actress. There's nothing so compelling about her journey other than the fact that, like, she's a journalist and she has this personal a- attachment to whatever this case is she's on. Yeah. But there's no actual stakes involved in her solving this story which is except nuts. for except for her believing in the curse yeah like she starts to believe in the curse her son has watched it so now the clock is ticking down but nowhere are there instructions that say you figure out what's on the tape and where things are like she's literally just doing searching the only avenues she has and that's the only evidence is the tape so she's just gonna keep following information she gets surrounding it and see where it leads but then all of a sudden she's like holding a dead skeleton in a well and she's like ah we solved it it's so interesting you say that and it's because that's how we see movies like as americans yeah no that's that's like like, our own kind of drawback because we too are just like good yeah like this is like we we're not worried (laughs) we're not worried for her at any time because we know she's just got to discover the body and bring it to the police, and then everything's fine. So you're not scared for her. Maybe that's maybe that's exactly why I wasn't scared for her when this came out in the theater, because I was like, oh, she's our protagonist. She's going to make it out okay. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of find out that by accident, almost, she... That's the only reason why she's she lived past yeah. her seven-day window. Which which makes that ending so scary, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's such a weird thing. It's almost like you sacrifice most of your movie for a punchline. Yeah. Because like it's it's very meta almost. Like this movie understands how movies are made, which is so fucked. Like it's it's crazy that we get all of this in a remake. Like a, an Americanized film. Yeah. It is very it, it boils down the template and the beats of a standard movie. Like a, a standard solve the mystery movie, right? And then it sort of like spins it on its head, I suppose. And like you you find out that there were rules at play the entire movie that you didn't know about, um, which is a genius move. I think that's awesome. I think that's really cool. Well, yeah, because what it comes down to is this is a curse yeah. from a very powerful entity that we don't understand and we'll never understand. And so all that we can do is once we're involved is just to fucking pass it on. Yeah, she didn't crazy. need to go to go on any adventure. She nope. didn't need to learn anything about Samara. And maybe that's too like I don't watch this movie all that often, but whenever I do, I always remember she goes to the island. I don't remember anything she discovers there yeah. ever. I remember the horse thing on the boat. Her dad killing himself. I don't even remember that. I don't oh, remember yeah. any of that stuff. The latter, maybe, but no. I don't love when stuff that is in the tape starts appearing in real life. I'm I kind of like that. I, when she comes out of uh, what's-his-name's apartment and she walks under that ladder, I was yeah. just like, ooh, yeah. But then there's another ladder later on, too. Simmer know? down, John. Ladders I'm, are great. I, I'm, not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to make this like a list of things I don't like about the movie. It's I, I think what I'm trying to figure out is like why I still think it's a good movie 
despite not falling in love with it. Something else I discovered on this watch that I think I think you might appreciate. Sure, lay it on um, You might be on the kind of the same... You're giving me a lot of stuff this time around, too, that I'm just eating up. <laughs> so, this movie's about a curse. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Good John, one. you like Good. curses. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, what, what? <laughs> uh, this is kind of an off, offline conversation we had, but we were recently reminiscing on how werewolves no longer have the mark of the curse. Uh-huh. And the ring... I'm listening. ...is gone old school... Oh, shit. ...with the unable to photograph your face okay. after you look at the tape, which, yeah, like you know, that. I thought was a little silly at first because just like, okay, we're using all the technology we have. We got the phone call. We got the television. We've got the um, the camera. Yeah. But that's the mark of the, the curse. Okay. They can't be, like, even the reflective mirror in the convenience store, you, you no longer own your own image like yeah. it belongs to samara which makes sense because she's like a manifester of images and she owns your face now that's fucking cool well i mean it even comes down to the idea of like your soul being captured in your image and so now she has your soul yeah right? like mark of the beast though so then the- it's like oh, <laughs> it's like a werewolf curse yeah i thought you would appreciate that i dig it that's cool yeah yeah like this this we talk about it being her her being a boogeyman being an urban legend and like this really the Ring story, whether it's The Ring or Ringu, like, really does an incredible job of taking a piece of media and really showing you the the darkest way it can be used. And I think that's true about a lot of Boogeyman stuff. Like, it takes something completely normal in your everyday life and just makes it something you're terrified to look at. Uh, and there's no denying that this is the best scary tape movie that there's ever been and probably ever will be. Yeah, it's almost just so sad. I feel so bad for this movie. And I know that they had, I mean, the franchise is still going strong. We, we had a, a sequel like a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, That it came out at the end of tapes. It's so weird that it came out and like at literally. Least the, at least the American one. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, like the, the Japanese one came out like mid 90s. Tapes were popular in the 80s. I just think it like I wish it had to come out in the middle of tapes. I, I'm with you. I think because so I think what it was playing off of, which we don't really relate to nowadays, is that, I mean, most of my movie collection growing up was taped off the television. Mm-hmm. We only maybe owned a dozen movies. Okay. And most of them were like, you'd have to watch Ghostbusters 1 if you wanted to watch Ghostbusters 2, or you had to spend <laughs> half the afternoon, like, rewinding and clicking play and rewinding and clicking play. And you would occasionally record something you didn't mean to or want to. Well, yeah, and, like, oftentimes there were just, like, mystery tapes in the collection. You're like, what yeah, is this? Right. And then you put it on, you're like, oh, it's fucking all the eight Rudolphs from <laughs> uh, from Christmas time that you've recorded, like, just a day of Christmas specials. Yeah, but then there'd be, like, that wasted bit at the end where there wasn't enough to put anything on, and it was just blank, and occasionally you'd stare at it, or you'd wake up, and it was just playing. What? Yeah, Jonathan? right? <laughs> But yeah, sometimes you never knew it was going to be on those tapes, and tapes were passed around. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. All of, like a lot, like younger generations don't even really have physical media. Yeah, they get it all digitally, which is so interesting. It's it's crazy that rings did not do very well because the whole idea here is is sharing, passing it on, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And like we haven't been able to bridge that gap to social media, other than it just being like the on the nose. Hey, yeah. everybody, retweet this so it goes viral and we're all safe. <laughs> you know, four hundred likes and yeah. My mom says I can get a addition on the house. I don't know. <laughs> four hundred likes. My mom says I can live. 
<laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> 400 likes and my mom won't regret her deal with the devil. <laughs> yeah. Man, now I'm real hung up on that. The idea that, like, she has made a pact with evil. Well, because there's got to be. what she got was this little girl. Yeah, there's got to be this hang up. Like, maybe that's kind of why Brian Cox, the adopted father, like, couldn't love her enough. Yeah. Because she was evil, evil. and he knows it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the ring? No, I think I've I think I've exhausted my cursy lore. I'm kind of trepidatious, nervous to hear your two point five out of four. Wow. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I just don't love it. Like it's it's personal See, but preference. I, I think part of the problem is is that you're not watching it with like new eyes. Like I think no, you're, no, no. I think no. you're watching it and you're being a little stale on it because of how big it is, which. I don't know, like, I tried to watch this movie and not think of everything around it, like, all of the sequels and the crossovers and the remakes. Oh, no, I'm not thinking of any of that when I watch it at all. I can distinctly remember seeing it with you. It had been the first time I'd watched it since that theater experience where I was like, oh, 0.5 out of 4, 1 out of 4. Like, I really didn't like it. I'd say 1 out of 4 is probably what I would have given it. And uh, that second time around going, oh, I really underestimated what this movie's doing. And it's really good. I still don't love it. Like, it, And I think I've been at 2.5 out of 4 since that second viewing. And like, this is a big step up for me. I don't think I'm ever going to climb much higher than that, unfortunately. It's just, it's just personal preference. Wow. Uh, I think I'm going to give the movie a 3 out of 4. Uh, not that far from 2.5 i was gonna give it a three and a half but then i was thinking just now that i don't like the sun and his like weird omnipotent knowledge but i think that's just a downside of coming out uh around the time of the sixth sense so it's just like all kids need to be like smart and smarmy i don't know maybe and he's like a little bit psychic which is kind of weird he's kind of like that in the in the original also right yeah, there's a lot of extra psychic-y stuff. <laughs> there's just plenty. But yeah, whatever. It's a good movie. I think it's great. I love that people love this movie. Like, I, I see it Fuck now. it, I'm giving it a three and a half, three and a half out of Give four. it the three out of four. You want to. Three and a half out of four. You're giving it a three and a half out of four. Yeah. Okay. I upped it. Yeah, all right. To counterbalance your... You don't have to counterbalance I'm anything. counterbalancing your poor rating. Oh, I think you. it's a wonderful curse. I think it's wonderful. I think it's well executed. I think it's a wonderful curse. I it's a wonderful curse. I think it probably has one of the best jump scares of the last 20 years. I, I, I really think that jump scare is amazing. So random. Be, because of where it comes, you're... you're And you are in. You feel like you're in a safe spot in the movie. Yes. We're at a fucking funeral. Totally. We're getting set up, like, scared. It's it's so well done. Um, you know, I, I, I like the villain. I think it's kind of interesting and stuff. I just don't love it overall. Like, you put all those pieces together and like, meh. It's like broccoli. Like, broccoli is like the power vegetable, and it's like, it's got so many it's great very things very controversial for it. vegetable, John. Yeah, and then like, you, you take all of the elements of broccoli, and you separate it, and you can't ingest one. Uh, what? Okay, I'm losing you on this. <laughs> <laughs> what? So like let let's let's just say fuck it. I'm just gonna walk away. <laughs> what are you trying to do to the broccoli? Okay, so I was listening to this audiobook about vegetables oh, God. a while ago, so the details are gone. But essentially This like, is like that time you wouldn't stop talking about squids for months. Man, they're so interesting. You <laughs> you've gotta get on those squid audiobooks. <laughs> oh they God. know so much. <laughs> 
But yeah, like all the nutrients that are in that it, that's in. That's <laughs> We're in, going back to yeah, it. Yeah, it's in broccoli. Like you need to have it all together at the exact same time, or none of it really works. It's kind of like when you have to take. Uh, it's what, really the super fruit. Was it like iron and calcium together? I, I don't really remember. I think it's magnesium and calcium. Bam! There you go. So like you need to have those two things together. Uh, that way your body they, can they're absorb surfers, it. They surf together. It's like when you burn incense. You gotta burn the skeleton key first before you can burn the job mojo because you need to open up the possibility for the essence of what you're calling for. John, don't tell them my metaphysical <laughs> secrets. <laughs> we went to Salem once and now I'm just like, I need all of these important incense to, to kickstart my career. And there's an order in which we light them. Of course. <laughs> Always face north and smudge to the east. You're making fun of me. I'm not making fun of you. Mm. I do these things when I light the incense. <laughs> Just in case. Oh, yeah. Just in case Mercury's in retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay, so... 2.5 out of 4. So that means What Lies Beneath wins. Fuck yeah. Was there any... Dual perfect rating. Probably, I think, the second time or something that's happened on the podcast. I don't even know. You know, I I had fully prepared to give What Lies Beneath a 3.5 out of 4. But it's amazing. Yeah, like, because I was just like, man, I really don't like that bump on the head. But it's like, it's such a... (laughs) such a small I spot. I really don't like that bump on I'll, the I'll, I'll save that half a star reduction for Letterboxd on the podcast. Oh, fucking man. four out of four. It's so funny because I was looking at the ratings before we started recording. Oh, and you I saw, saw what I rated? I saw you'd only rated it four out of five and I was like, I have a bone to pick with him in a minute. I had actually upgraded it since you looked at that. Like while we were sitting here getting ready for the podcast, I was like, well, that's not very enough. Four I was, and a half. I was ready to throw off the gloves. <laughs> yeah, no, it's real good. It's real I'm going to go good. put my five stars in to counterbalance your rating right now <laughs> i honestly think about doing that all the time i'm like i should just rate every movie i see five stars because it's everybody is so unfair sometimes to movies that i love like giving it one stars or whatever and i'm like I sh- we should just boost every movie every movie should be five stars <laughs> you're like the robin hood of rating yeah but then i come down and i'm just like oh okay well now that we're no longer high on life uh <laughs> three stars three stars <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of Nightmare on Film Street. If you are new to the podcast, hit the subscribe button to check out our other episodes. We have been doing this for three years, so there's like 200 episodes in there for you to listen to. If you want more Nightmare on Film Street content, if you've been with us for a while, consider supporting us on Patreon. We have a ton of bonus episodes over there. That is at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. Yeah, what she said. <laughs> But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets 
odds if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.